I'm at Jess in primary school and uh, I felt like such an oddball. The reason we connected is because I think she felt like a bit of an oddball too. Lisa Ryan and Jessica McCarlick had a lot in common. They both had parents who were immigrants. They shared a passion for marbles and troll dolls. And by high school, they were best friends. That was it. From there, we were kind of inseparable from grade seven onwards. At the centre of their friendship was music. Old music, new music. They even tried to start a band together. She had grown up listening to a lot of classics with her dad, Beatles, and my interests were pretty similar with what I'd grown up with listening to, like with Queen, and I have an older brother, so he... (laughs) I would go through his cassette collection and his CDs, and but it might never mind cassette girl. He'd be, like, looking around everywhere for it. I'd be kind of, like, giggling, you know, like, I had it, and... Jess and I would listen to it on our Walkman. (laughs) My brother actually introduced me to Grinspoon. I was like, this is really cool stuff. And I remember bringing it in and Jess was just like, that was it. I just, I'll never forget her face, man. It was just, it was so cool. From then on in, it was like, oh, she had to get all the albums and she was like brushing up on all her history. <laughs> like, total music nerd, like I have to know everything. And Grinspoon was her ultimate, her ultimate Aussie favourite. Episode 3, The Age of Innocence is Over. One of the things that we had inadvertently created was this period over, you know, January, February, where international bands were starting to put Australia back in their calendar. Sahara Herald had been the national event coordinator for five years. A chance to keep the big day out dream alive was too tempting. If we didn't do this show they were still kind of in that cycle. So it left it really open for a competitor. So we pretty much made the decision with the advent of the new showgrounds, which were part of the Olympic site, that we would have another go, another crack. After a year off, the big day out returned in 99 with Hole, Regurgitator, Marilyn Manson, Super Jesus, Corn. Electronic music was booming and they booked artists like Fatboy Slim and Underworld for the Boiler Room, the stage where music fiends chewed the hours away on the dance floor. But a successful comeback was never a sure thing. The new Sydney venue needed 60,000 people to fill it. It was a real punt moving out there, whether we would keep our audience from, you know, the inner city whether they would stick with us. They did, and the show grew. Larger crowds brought a new dynamic. When you get that many people, they're not necessarily all purely there for the music. It starts to become about an experience. For Sahara, though, the music and music fans reminded her that what they were doing meant something. 
the thing that would catch me off guard each year was the look of joy and anticipation on people's faces as they would come in. I remember that feeling when you'd step off the train at Sydney Olympic Park and it was just like electricity. You'd just go, ah, the day is ahead of you and, like, I can't wait and who am I going to see first? And, ah, like, everyone else was feeling it too. And to see their faces, they come in full of joy and hope and eagerness and this incredible energy. People would put glitter on their faces and, like, colour their hair and stuff like that. And I promised myself every year that I wasn't going to cry but I would get teary because it would just take me back to the core of what it's like to be a music fan. Everyone wants to let their hair down for their big day out, right? Enjoy music and, like, forget about the mundane, everyday stuff. My first big day out, 1994, Soundgarden Beer, the Ramones. I caught the train down from the mid-north coast and I put my hair (laughs) in little um, buns like Björk and I wore a sports girl t-shirt and I was the first in the gate. Phil Jamison was so excited to go to the big day out. I might have just been 15 or 16. No, I was 16. It was his gateway to a life of music. Remember Smashing Pumpkins playing today? As I was walking through the field and I'd never heard the song before but it actually captured... Lyrically, exactly what many people were feeling. We had never experienced anything like this as young teens, and it was just the best, literally the best. From then on, I just loved seeing live bands. He loved it so much, he went back the following year, and that's when he saw Ministry. I thought Armageddon was happening, I was terrified. They they were the loudest band I'd ever seen in my life. Within uh, a week or two, I'd moved to Lismore, and within three weeks, I'd formed what we now know as Grinspoon. Five years later, in 2000, Phil returned to the big day out. This time... With Grinspoon, they were on the bill. I think we're on about 2pm, and that was the year Red Hot Chili Peppers headlined and Nine Inch Nails. So, like, massive, massive acts. And for me, that was completely surreal. In the audience that day, at their first big day out, was Lisa and her best friend Jessica. They were 15. Look at this fucking guitar I bought today! 2000 was the first big day out that Jess and I went to. It was so exciting for us though because the lineup was huge that year. It was Foo Fighters, it was Blink 182, Atari Teenage Riot. It was just so much fun, not to mention Chili Peppers at the end of the night. Oh, it was amazing. The 2000 show, we'd had the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were awesome. Really great guys to work with too. 2000 year was probably one of the finest examples of the Big Day Out. Viv Lees, Big Day Out co-founder, reckons any festival in the world would have been stoked with that lineup. Camaraderie in the tour was great. 
people would bring their A-game to the show. And I'm talking about right across the board with Australian bands as well, you know. We're going to soothe you wild bastards down there. At the end of the night, you know, when we've kind of been baking all day in the sun, people have been drinking and, you know, everybody gets excited. And I guess for the chili peppers... If you could just bear in mind that you don't want to hurt somebody, that you don't want to inflict a difficulty in somebody breathing in mind... Everybody was kind of rushing the front of the stage. Everyone wants to get the best view. Everybody wants to be down there to dance and have a great time. It was exciting. It was incredible. But we're starting to see... And just change the whole vibe out there so no one's getting crushed. When they move around, they push forward on the barriers. That they're actually... It's heavy on the people in the front. I actually have to commend Anthony Kiedis because I have this memory of him just really calming the crowd down. Make this a peaceful mission right now, please, everybody. Chili Peppers were able to control the moment and actually recover the audience and just calm people down a bit. And so... Who the fuck came here to fight, anyway? This was starting to become something that was emerging as, a, as an issue for us that we had to, had to think about a lot. The Chili Peppers finished their set. The only problem was for Lisa who hadn't heard the song she really wanted. I was waiting throughout the whole set to hear my favourite song. And then finally, at the end, they came back out and played Soul to Squeeze. That was it for me. That was just... It's my favourite memory. It's just like rocking back and forth with Jess to that song, you know, just amazing. You get in a difficult situation as festival producers that, that you're always trying to top what you've done previously. And of course, that's not always uh, sustainable. But, you know, where do you go from the chili peppers? Wow. Pearl Jam had started touring again, and we were in a very close negotiations with them for them to headline the 2001 show. And um, Viv Lees was at Ross Gilder meeting with them and management and had pretty much done a, a handshake deal. It was a very misty night, massive audience, probably about 70 or 80,000 in front of the stage. Over there they have a lot of flags, thousand banners in the audience blowing in the wind. Come on. I'm just looking at this endless audience that just goes out from where I am. Wake up in the morning and there's been a, a disaster at Roskilde. Uh, eight or nine people have died. There were people crushed in front of the stage during the Pearl Jam show. From that point on, you know, Pearl Jam said they would never do another festival again. This was literally weeks before our first announcement. So we were scrambling to find a headliner. And um, and we ended up with Limp Biscuit. So 
Aussie dollar was buying 57 cents US. So we didn't really have a lot of budget and it was probably not our favourite booking, that's for sure. No one felt like, hey, this is a great big day outfit. We didn't have that many choices. The new millennium meant the explosion of new metal, heavy bands incorporating hip-hop, industrial, funk and other styles. It was dark, it was catchy, it was everywhere. Limp Bizkit were huge at the time. They were very popular amongst a certain uh, section of our audience, but there was a dichotomy. There were people who really liked them and a lot of people who didn't like them. Tickets go on sale for the 2001 big day out and, you know, we kind of squeal when we see the lineup. Of course, at that age, we always had to consult with our parents for permission and finances, I guess. <laughs> that year, I actually bought Jessica her ticket. Back in the day when you could actually go and let line up and buy a ticket. <laughs> the excitement for Jess and Lisa was even bigger this year. There was a whole group going. They'd organised who they'd see, how they'd manage set clashes. The morning of the big day finally arrived. Get a drink, have a good time now. Welcome to paradise. 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 So we get to the bus stop and we're about to jump on the bus and Jess is like frantically going through her pockets and her everything. <laughs> She's, where has it gone? Like thinking she's dropped her ticket. Jess started planning ways to get inside without a ticket. It was never an option for her to not go. But she hadn't lost it. It was still in her special box at home, where her dad, George, was. Could you come at once? OK, I'll be then in a jiffy. And no kidding, I didn't put any pants on me. I was in underpants, ran up there, ran into the car because I knew how important it is for the group of six. And so I didn't want them to miss anything. George delivered that ticket to her and off we went. We'd been having heated, heated disputes with Limp Biscuit from the moment they arrived, really, about all manner of things. Big Day Out co-founder Ken West says Limp Biscuit weren't easy to get along with. It was a bad judgement. It was a bad chemistry. When the tour kicked off in New Zealand, Viv noticed crowds were really amped up for Limp Bizkit. At one point during the show, there was a crowd collapse. Twelve people in the mosh were hurt. After the Auckland show, I went and spoke to Durst. When that happens, can I ask you to just stop the music? If we have uh, something where the audience needs to be stood up, needs to be rescued, we will come on stage and tell you to, to stop the music and we really need you to stop. You've got opposing sides. You've got an act that's not working with us. They wanted to put some extra barriers in the audience and we vehemently disagreed with their idea. The Limp Biscuit team were concerned about crowd safety, so they asked for a tea barrier. We can't provide them what they want because what they're asking is an abstract thought that hasn't been tested and can cause more problems. If you have one stage and you have a tea barrier, it can actually stop the movement. But where we had a double stage, you can't really put a tea in the middle. 
We didn't want to put two lots of T's in. We didn't really have a solution. The band and Ken and Viv tried to make it work to keep the crowd safe, but they had different opinions on how to do it. It was just ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. We'd been going through it all day. Man, we've done this stuff because we went all through Ross Kilda. We went through you know, communicating with all the people there about what they're doing, what went wrong, where the, where the fact you lost the people at a certain point back, the Ross Kilda thing. It was 50, 80 metres back from the stage. So the whole brewing thing about trying to work as one was a drama because we were already fully arguing for the whole day. Lisa and Jess were ripping it up at their second big day out. We saw Powderfinger. We saw Coldplay. Uh, Ramstein uh, later in the evening. Smoked a pack of cigarettes before midday. Frenzel Rom, we both love Frenzel. That was actually my favourite memory of that day. Jess had bought an Oscar the Grouch stuffed toy at an op shop. What are you, you going to do with that? And she's like, oh, I'm just going to throw it up at Frenzel Rom. <laughs> She had bought it. She decided what she was going to do with it. That's what she did. And uh, But it just, like, the squeal out of her, like, I, I heard that squeal. She was just like, It was hot, and it's always hot for the big day out in Sydney. Like, it's always a super, super hot day, and um, trying to go dip their heads under taps and, like, run around and that kind of excitement and electricity in the air. By the afternoon, at the drive-in, we're on stage. Mosh was turning ugly. I was screaming at the audience in the machinery hall and did the whole sheep bang. We knew what was going on. After three songs, the band walked off. As the sun set, anticipation was building for Limp Biscuit. Jess was always willing to, like, check out a band. She wouldn't be getting her money's worth if she wasn't going to check out the headliner. I knew how much buzz they were getting and that people were really excited and she had listened to them a little bit. She was kind of, like, still deciding, I think. Limp Biscuit hit the main stage. Look at us, you know, where we're going to rock this place, let's turn this place upside down. And they did. There was a real lot of movement in the audience, and so it's something we'd never really seen quite like that before. Viv knew something wasn't right straight away. They're bringing over uh, unconscious people over the barrier. My memory is a lot of really angry male energy. I told him before we came, 
I said, put Limp Biscuit and 60,000 Aussies in one fucking place and this motherfucker's gonna go crazy. Head of security, Jeff Gray, was right in there at the front. You know, he took a wedge of guys. They had a plan, which is just to go straight in. He would have had six or eight guys just in the audience with the people that had fallen over, you know, picking them up to get the ones on top off the ones underneath. Everybody just be patient. Dudes that probably drank too much, sit in the sun all day. and are getting a little out of hand. Just now they're rushing the crowd because they just got to see Fred Durst. And there was too many experts and um, there was some certain things going on there I totally did not agree with, but I just went, oh, okay it'll calm things down a bit but what'd you say you punk motherfucker the energy the chaos it was a mess what'd that big faggot beside you say that punk right there there's not much you can do about it you just gotta hope that it holds together but because we weren't connected we weren't a family I saw them stopping the show I saw people trying to be pulled out I saw people screaming I saw people in pain. Very gentle with the people around so Viv jumped up on the mic and tried to calm the crowd down. I think I said, yeah, please, um, can you... Respect your fellow human being. There are some few people in trouble. Can you the move front. back? And I ask you to just step back. Step back. One step, step back. back. Give the people at the front a room a chance to They're the only ones that can tell them to calm down. Our production manager can't do it. I can't do it. No one can do it. I remember just watching from the side, though, and it's almost like I couldn't look away. And I just, I got this horrible pit feeling in my stomach. In my own role, I wish that I'd been able to be a little bit more insistent and decisive in the situation, but the situation was already occurring. And I can only imagine the fear that those people were in. It was frightening. It was frightening. My last interactions with her were in the crowded area in a mosh pit. And I had her hand and then I let it go. So it's very hard for me. over it so many times in my head I can't even begin to tell you like just the what ifs like what if I hadn't let go what if I had a dragged her out what if I had a sad limp biscuit suck let's get the hell out of here you know all the what ifs the crowd are too angry this isn't a good spot to be in like if I had a just if I had a what if The whole incident was over in like three minutes. You're walking over to where St John's Ambulance were at the side of the stage. It's just a side of mayhem, you know, with like 20 or 30 people in stretchers. 
probably had about three or four ambulance transports and one person that was in a very uh, bad way. Mm. Lisa was even more worried when Jess wasn't at the meeting point. When she got home, she rang Jess's parents. Jess wasn't there. They soon found out she was in hospital. We had it down that she, she was in a serious condition, but unknown. No, and for a few days. Tens of thousands of young Australians and their parents have some sombre food for thought after the death of a 15-year-old girl who became trapped amongst a crowd of people at a rock festival. The girl had a heart attack when she became trapped among a crowd near the stage at the Sydney Big Day Out. She was my closest, bestest friend growing up and... You know, when you're younger and you just think, oh, I've got my best friend, like, I'm invincible, um, we'll always have each other. When she didn't come home with me that night, I just... It's a very strange and unusual pain. She's like our archetypal audience member and it kind of makes me emotional to think about it now because that's the kind of person that we put our show on for. I can't even express the level of devastation personally and, you know, professionally. You know, the big day out had been something that I was so, so proud to be a part of and to feel in any way culpable for the death of another person who was a music fan that had gone gone out for the day with her friends and had done not one thing wrong. She was there enjoying the show. Nobody gets ready that day and thinks, oh, I might not come home. And that's exactly what happened that day. Limp Biscuit couldn't finish the tour. They never made it to Melbourne, Perth or Adelaide. They got on a plane and went home. We, until that point, had been very much media darlings, you know. The Big Day Out could really do no wrong and, you know, we were literally the front page of every paper in the country with headlines like Bad Day Out. What happened next was a coronial inquest into the death of Jessica McCarlick. It went for nearly two years. While usually flanked by security guards instructed to ensure the safety of the crowd, the sheer number of people that often gather in a mosh pit makes them notoriously difficult to control. People can argue that the stage barrier design was adequate or that uh, the security weren't to blame or that um, the band weren't to blame. Now, much of the last few days has focused on whether Limp Biscuit's lead singer Fred Durst was going to make an appearance in person to give evidence we're still not quite sure if that's going to happen or not. This interview has been summoned by the court. It was a really, really ugly time. It's probably the single biggest thing that has affected this group yet. I mean, you know, it's, it's left them in tears. Uh, just don't want anyone to lose focus on the fact that this is about the security. Today, lead singer Fred Durst gave evidence via video link from Los Angeles. He said he was very emotional discussing it. It's made me insecure about large numbers of people coming together for concerts. We have to make sure this never happens again. But George McCulloch, um, on the very first day, uh, gave an interview outside the court and he was saying that really it was just a tragic accident. I fought tooth and nail for the big dog to survive because of Jessica's uh, memory. 
Big Day Out was Jessica, and Jessica was Big Day Out. Bernadette Young reports the investigating officer has concluded that no one involved with the festival was criminally negligent. And, you know, there was no one thing that, that caused that accident, but it most certainly did make us all reevaluate what we were doing on every level, and I'm not just meaning professionally either. We'd all been working our asses off to deliver a show that was meant to bring joy, and um, it didn't. The inquest found that no one was negligent. But the coroner did criticise Lees and West for their crowd control measures and their reactive rather than proactive approach. Limp Bizkit frontman Fred Durst was criticised for his inflammatory comments during the rescue effort. The band, who declined our request for an interview, returned to Australia in 2012 for Soundwave. During their shows, they paid tribute to Jessica. After the 2001 show, there were a whole bunch of remedial policies that were brought into kind of starting to curb some of the more boisterous activity on the site. It seems like the age of innocence is gone. The idea was that, you know, we've got to actually learn from it. The team rolled out 12 new crowd safety measures, things like crowd care volunteers, more water, video monitoring... And most importantly, they designed a D-barrier to manage crowds. The next day, on the front page of the, the papers, they had a photo of George and Barbara, Jess, Jess's parents, and they were sitting in Jess's room, and all over her walls were, um, were, were photos of Grinspoon. Ken and Vivian reached out. And I think the family also reached out for, for uh, Pat and I to play at her memorial. And um, uh, to this day, it's the, one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Today, the friend she should have joined at Year 11 at Sydney's Cromer High School mourned her loss during a requiem mass. You shone like the clearest crystal, a legend at 16. You're gone but never forgotten. Will you ever know how much you mean? And then in 2002, we were invited back to play the Big Day Out again, and we played a song we'd just written over that that year called Chemical Heart, and that was a tribute to her. has helped me is just thinking about her and the person that she was and I don't have any problem thinking about her, talking about her, the person that she was. I'm still a proud dad of Jessica and I still consider myself as a father. The school, they came with with the idea that that she was so exceptionally good student that they wanted to create a permanent memorial for her. 
And the one word, you know what the kids came up? Caring student. Caring, simple word, but so beautiful. Jess is an amazing person. Vibrant, full of life, so loving, loved her music. There's so many different parts of her. Jess was such a kind person. Like She was the type of person that would give you the shirt off of your back, literally. We tried as kids to be musicians <laughs> and failed miserably. And she had kind of made a decision. I'm not that great of a musician and I love music. And I'm wondering about what career field. At that point, we were at that age where our parents were kind of on us, like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And she was like, oh, you know, maybe I can be an event coordinator. Maybe I can be in the music world in some way or I can make a difference, be around it, enjoy it. Something like that really would have fit her really quite well. Double J dedicates this episode to the memory of Jessica McCarlick. Thanks for checking out a Double J podcast. Subscribe now to hear the next episode first. And you can listen to Double J anytime on your TV, digital radio, or the Triple J app.